right, good morning. Welcome to the Solar Surge podcast. We are coming to you today from Salt Lake City, Utah at SolarCon, right here on the floor of the expo. And this morning I'm joined by Cody Teal, CEO of Equals. And we're gonna be talking all about just kind of the solar market condition in 2023, talking about the conference and hearing more about how you've been able to find success in your solar business and you know, frankly, navigating what is a very, very challenging environment. So yeah. Cody, thank you for joining us. Welcome yeah. to the Solar Surge Podcast. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming out to Utah. We'll work through the cold weather. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is my first time in Utah, by the way. I was I was you know dressed dressed in beach clothes when I got on the airplane, and I got a rude awakening when I stepped out of the airport. But uh, it's 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 beautiful out here. Yeah. It, it really is beautiful out here. Some beautiful natural features, and you know, Salt Lake is really one of like the solar capitals, especially when yeah. it comes to the door-to-door world. Um, so, if you don't mind, like for those that don't know you in the audience, tell, tell us how did you get started in the solar industry, and, and how did you come to settle here in Salt Lake? So I got started. I was just graduated in Hawaii. Was working a job out there, and my friend, my brother at that time, brother-in-law was working in Arizona in solar. And uh, he said, you can be in sales without se- without selling anything. And that had made sense to me. And then he talked to me how solar works. You're really just transitioning an electric bill from a higher one to a lower one. I said, oh, we'll try it out. So that was in Arizona. So I just started in Arizona. And then um, all, all roads in direct sales lead to Utah. <laughs> and so two years ago, the company I was with moved their headquarters to Utah. And uh, that's how I ended up here. So... Got it. Condensed version. Got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm meeting a lot of solar professionals here, especially a lot of a lot of the guys that came up on the door to door side of the business. And, you know, frankly, I've I've got a lot of respect for that. I mean, it's a tough it is a tough sort of initiation into sales and into solar having to go through that. uh, Frankly, that that type of rejection and and that that type of grind. Um, I've always been one of the guys that has found some way to get get attention online, whether it's advertising or, you know, posting ads or what have you. But um, anyway, you know, we're here at SolarCon, and one of the vibes that I that I got right from the the outset was, you know, how do you how what is it going to take to be successful in the solar business uh, in this new environment, um, and and especially kind of coming to this understanding that you know we've had it very very good for so long, especially if you're a sales professional in solar, you you know this this whole idea that you know you can just have all this huge commission potential, you don't have to worry about all the risk or all the liability of long-term keeping homeowners happy keeping systems online uh and that a lot of that might be going away so i guess let's just start out we're just talking about big picture cody what do you think is going on in the solar market in 2023 how is it different and what is it going to take to be successful in this environment yeah i think i think a lot of industries are experiencing shift you know covid interrupted a lot of things financial markets are in flux and so it's not it's i mean solar is definitely feeling that but a lot of markets are as well um, specifically, a lot of things they've been talking about here is that how it affects solar is that traditionally you have, well, let me back up a little bit. This is, that's a really complex question. I want to like try to synthesize it. So solar, because it's, it's a little unique because of the newness of the technology. I say that like with quotes because solar has been around for a while, but in terms of like deployable on a commercial or residential scale, that's like within the last decade. And so there's an education piece of that. And that's why in Utah, there's a lot of door-to-door guys because they do typically do really well education, right? And so um, it's changed in that, like that education piece, that door-to-door direct sales piece held a lot of the controls 
And now that more people know about it and that the financing markets have changed, that power is coming back or the, the maybe not power, but the, the value add or reliance is back on the actual installers now and consumers. So consumers have more knowledge and power than they did before as well as EPCs. And so um, part of the adjustment is sales reps getting better or more used to that and EPCs, adjust. this is like a horrible answer. I think I need to restart that answer. <laughs> but but um, if I have like consolidated this, in terms of the changing market, there's three things. One, people know more about solar than they ever did before because rising utility rates and better like, just solar's more out there. Two, financing's like really changed solar because it's a, it's a finance dependent industry. There's a, there's a big capital outlay Financing's changed, so how you address that is important. And then three, just equipment costs. We saw equipment costs just skyrocket. They're coming down a little bit, but just being really smart with how you manage cash flow and equipment, that's like one of the biggest differentiators between people that are gonna make it or not. Anyway, horrible yeah. answer, way too technical, but yeah. Well, no, no, look, I think, I think there's a lot there. I think there's yeah. a lot there. And I think there's, frankly, there's a lot that that all the stakeholders need to understand about the environment that we're in. And when I say all the stakeholders, I mean homeowners that are looking at installing solar, sales professionals that are out representing the installers that are that are having to represent the industry and then the product accurately. Um, and of course the installers, which, you know, as somebody who used to be an installer, I, I understand that the installer really bears the majority of the risk and the burden on making all of this work. And, uh, and frankly, the, the business model that has emerged in our industry is one where it's actually the salesperson that gets most of the upside potential yeah. of these projects, where the contractor is actually left holding most of the burden. Yes. Technical support, repairs, maintenance, um, you know, any kind of insurance issues that may come up. Yeah. You know, the, the installer has to keep that system healthy. It's not just yeah. installing it, you gotta keep that system healthy for 25 yeah. years. So you might think you made a certain amount of profit on day one, but then five years down the road, yep. you add up all your costs for any service calls that might be required, software updates, repairs, replacements. You know, it, it, it can be very, very difficult for the installers. And I think it's important that the sales the salespeople in the industry understand that, yeah. because I think there's been a, a big focus on, well, how can, I, how can I beat my installer down to the lowest possible yeah. red line? In other words, how can I beat my installer down to the lowest possible wholesale cost that he's willing to build for me? And then how can I sell at the highest possible retail price so I can build in a, a fat commission as a sales professional? In your opinion, why do you think, or do you think that that model is sustainable? And if not, what do you think, what do you think the future is gonna look like in terms of the, the partnership between a sales organization and an install organization? Um, definitely not sustainable, <laughs> but and it, I mean, it's just, if you look at any new technology, there's always that adoption curve rate. And that first five to 10, 12 years is always slow because that's the educating time. And, and we're really reaching the end of that. And we're seeing a lot more people consumer driven buying versus sales driven buying. So sales driven buying is, I don't know about this product. I didn't even know it existed. So someone knocks on your door, explains it to you. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Let's buy it. There's enough solar out there. There's enough people like you out there that are saying, Hey, I'm going to educate consumers just transparently and honestly. And consumers like, Oh, I know enough about solar. I'm going to make my own decisions. That's driving the price down. That's being, that's giving more power to the installers or good installers, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
what sales or reps are going to see that they're going to see that transition and the ones that are going to be successful, the ones that are going to say, you know what, I'm going to have a, a stronger brand presence and two, I'm going to have a stronger, a, a better customer experience because that better customer experience is going to drive more referrals and business versus who can just get out there and knock them on stores. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's unpack that. Let's unpack that a little bit. So um, one of the components, you know, one of the components in terms of having a successful solar sales organization, or at least having a having a sales pitch, if you will, that resonates with potential buyers yeah. is being able to show them the financial benefits of the solar investment over the long term. Yeah. Right. And so I know one of the typical ways that solar is presented is, hey, what we're going to do here is we're not asking you to pay for anything. We're going to we're going to trade out your electric bill, right? We're going to we're going to take your electric bill. Let's say you're paying two hundred dollars a month now. We're going to give you a monthly payment of one hundred seventy dollars a month. It'll be a fixed payment that won't go up with inflation. And therefore, the longer you keep the system, the more and more your monthly savings is going to be with solar. Yeah. Uh, and that worked in most markets. When interest rates were low, we could finance solar at 3%, 4, yeah. 4% interest. Now we're looking at 7 8% interest, 9% in some yeah. cases. So how do you think the solar value proposition needs to change in the environment where there's higher higher financing fees and interest rates? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth here. No one really likes higher interest rates. Like no one likes paying more interest. That's not a good thing necessarily, but at the same time, it's forced us in our industry to not rely on that simple pitch of high bill, low bill, right? It's, it's to say energy is changing and the old model doesn't work on principle. And so the earlier year you make your adoption over to the new model, one early adopters always take the advantage of Better, price, better pricing, um, more one-on-one -on -one relationships, you know, getting, you're saving earlier, but two, just like buying a house, like you're gonna pay that mortgage off quicker, right? Or if you, if you finance it, or you're gonna realize the benefits earlier because you invested early. And so in terms of changing or adjusting to higher interest rates or financing, just focus on what we should have been focusing on the whole time is this is distributed generation is a better model than centralized generation. And that's that goes for, we're, we're seeing that in the internet, right? Internet was is decentralized. Um, cryptocurrency, decentralized. We're seeing decentralization happen and people that take advantage of that decentralization early on just are building better financial security and better freedom for themselves. Makes sense, makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I've been one of the guys really ever since I got started. You know, I was never, I was never really selling solar, if you will, as a as a financial investment or as yeah. a way to stick it. It was always about empowering the individual, become more self sufficient, yeah. become more, well, become less dependent. You know, become less yeah. dependent on the government, less dependent on the power company, yeah. that sort of thing. So, you know, I've always thought, and, and I, I hope that there's some salespeople out here that hear this, like. Like solar is not something that people just buy because you showed, you showed them a fancy spreadsheet with a chart that showed them how much money they're going to yeah. save. Uh, there is a large group of people out there, especially as you said, uh, uh, consumers now are choosing to educate themselves yeah. more and more about the product before even engaging with a solar company. Uh, but there are a lot of people out there that just want solar because they believe in the technology. They understand that, that the model we have with the grid, it's, it's unsustainable, it's unreliable. They yeah. want a better solution. Uh, and many of them are willing to pay for it, even if it might cost them a little bit more on a monthly payment basis to get yeah. started. So I think it's important that folks understand that out there. there. There is another way to present solar as a 
um, as an attractive investment other than just the, the, the traditional bill swap. Yep. Now, you, you put out a video a couple, of, uh, a couple of months ago, I believe. And by the way, folks, if you haven't seen Cody's YouTube channel, check out the YouTube channel. I believe it's a call, is it called Cody Teal Cody or is Teal, it equals? Yeah. We'll, we'll keep okay. it easy, Cody Teal, yeah. Cody Teal on YouTube. But you put out a video a couple of months ago, I believe it was called Why 90% of Solar Businesses Will Fail. Yeah. And you talked uh, about a number of things, which again, we might kind of consider insider secrets here in the solar industry. But let's, let's dig into that because people need to hear this. Why is it that you feel that the majority of solar businesses will fail? And what are some of the factors maybe increasing the risk and things that people need to, to, to deal with? Yeah, I think, this, I mean, if you said, if you just look at that line in and of itself, it might be a little shocking, but if you look at any industry in its early nascent stages, all those companies go out of business, most of the companies go out of business just because one, the principles of that business are not well established, right? Like, like if, you, if I look for insurance policy today, 99% of all insurance policies are gonna be the same. That's because that industry has been around for hundreds of years or, or housing. Housing is gonna be all really similar. Solar, again, residential solar, while the technology of solar has been there for a while, it's only been in the last 10, 15 years where it started to develop. And so in terms of pricing, in terms of best business practices, in terms of well, cost controls and what consumers' expectations should be, business expectations, those just aren't established yet. And so people are going to cut corners because they don't know where the corners are. Mm. And those that cut the corners are the ones that are going to just, they're going to fail. And that's just, it, it is what it is. Um, that's with any industry. So what the point of that video was to really empower, not the people, well, hopefully the people, the, the solar owners, the, 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 we're few and far between, but the consumers and sales reps to, to step back and say, maybe I shouldn't be chasing the shiniest object. Maybe I should like peel back those layers a bit and ask some questions because this thing's gonna be on my house for 25 years. And if I get 10 proposals, only one of those proposals is actually gonna be able to service that full 25 years, which is kind of scary. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's worth taking time to consider not just is, what's good for me now, what's good for me in the long-term future. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And I, I talk about this so often, I feel like I'm like a broken record almost, but it's like, look, solar is not one of those things where you want to shop on cheapest price. And when I when I got into solar, and I think I understand why, but when I got into solar, there was a lot of misinformation out there from solar marketing companies yeah. that were essentially telling consumers, solar's a commodity, it's all the same, just look at the price per watt, that'll tell you who's giving you the best deal. Yeah, That's like saying, all houses are the same, all automobiles are the same, just shop on cheapest price or, you know, miles per gallon. Yeah. That, that's not that's not at all the same. And I think what you what we also touched on a little bit earlier was that, you know, installing solar, when, when you're a contractor, you, you don't know what your cost is going to be. So this is where the risk of contracting comes in. You have to give a bid, you have to give a price where you don't know what your true cost is going to be. Now, there's certain models for estimating that you can apply to get to get close based on historical performance. But when you offer a bid for a job, you don't really know what the cost of that job is going to be. At the end of the job, you tally up all the costs and expense you might know, but then you still don't know what the long-term yeah. warranty service expenses of that job. And, and this is where I see a lot of contractors get themselves into trouble is they price the job based on what's the cost of getting this installed today? How much do the materials cost? How much do I have to pay the installers to go out and do the job? What's my vehicle cost, my overhead? And so they put out a bid based on that with no regard for future warranty service, 
future hardware upgrades, software upgrades, and they just yeah. figure, well, uh, you know, I'll figure it out when I get there. Well, if they don't have enough cash reserve, they, they may not they may not get there, right? Yeah. And then the homeowner's left with a system with a, with a with a warranty that's only worth the paper it's written on. Yep. Yeah. Now, one of the other things that you you talked about is is M1s, and again. I know a lot of solar folks, we don't like to talk about financing and how financing works, but this is a reality of our industry. Just like mortgage finance, auto finance, solar financing is a big part of our industry. Yeah. And it's a little bit different than some of those other industries. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, you, you, you? I think you did a great job in the video, by the way, explaining what what is an M1 advance? What is an M1 advance really? Yeah. And how could contractors and salespeople potentially get themselves into trouble if they mismanage those M1s? Yeah, so M1, M stands for milestone. So in, in any project construction, you have milestones. And usually the first milestone, M1, is like a permit or some type of, hey, this customer moving forward. And either a financial institution will pay an M1 to an installer or an installer will pay an M1 to a sales rep, or sometimes we, we require homeowners to pay M1s or, or down payments, another word for them, for the initial project costs, right? And so the prob the advantage of M1s is I want my money now. That's nice, right? Because then I can buy equipment or other stuff, right? The, the disadvantage for M1s is it makes your bank account look bigger than it should be. It's, it's not actually guaranteed money. I mean, imagine if I'm like, imagine this in any other industry, <laughs> like, I'm in, I'm selling I'm selling a house and I'm paying the real estate agent based off their pipeline of current potential buyers, not homes that are actually sold. That would be crazy. Yeah. And we do that all the time in solar. And so what happens is is a lot like especially with solar contractors, is they and, and financing companies are doing a better job of pulling back M1s, but they'll pay millions of dollars like you can look if you want to look up the most famous one just look up sunlight financials quarter four 2022 quarter four um publishings they issued 34 million dollars to power home solar and m1s and the power home went bankrupt and they're out 34 million dollars so they're out they're in a set financial buying the finance company is who knows where all this money went mm -hmm. and it's, and the, one of the reasons that company went out of business is because they thought they had $34 million in the bank that was money they could use. They deployed that money and then their their cash flow got all screwed up. And when that money came due, they didn't have it or it was gone somewhere. That's just like, it, it's it's fake money. It's not real money. It's not, not fake money, but it's not realized. It's not real, earned. It's not realized or earned. Yes. And so if you can't account for it correctly, just don't take it. Yeah, no, that's a problem. And, and you know, again, a little bit of my story. I, I got caught up in a very similar problem with my contracting business where, you know, we were we had sales growth that was like 100 percent year over year for several years in a row. And so you're right. You see all this cash hitting your bank account more, you know, more cash than you've ever seen. But you don't really have a sense for of the cash that's here. How much of that is earned and available for me to invest how I want versus how much of that is really restricted cash that needs yes. to be set aside in an account for specific purposes like purchasing materials for this specific project yeah. as opposed to investing in buying a new truck or investing yeah. in hiring more employees and then that's where a lot of contractors get in trouble again i'm speaking a lot of this guys from personal experience is that if you don't have a, a tight handle on your cash flow and your cash management yeah. it's very easy to see 100 grand in your bank account oh i can go ahead and buy a new truck and hire a few more employees because yeah. the business is growing the business needs these things not realizing that 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 cash was for a, an install that's not going to happen for 60 days from now, 
And if that install goes wrong or the cost go, the, you know, the budget the job cancels or the job cancels, that, that gets clawed back. It gets clawed back. Exactly. Yep. So you did, I think, a very good job of saying, look, an M1, an M1 commission or an M1 advance from a finance company, it's, it, that's not earnings. That's a loan. That's a, that's a loan from the finance company to you, loosely collateralized by the future revenues of the project. Yes. But it's not actually, it's not actually earned. And so for whatever reason, that cash does not become earned. The finance company may just pull it back. Yep. Right. But you still have to make payroll. You still have to keep your fleet yeah. healthy. You still have to pay your operating expenses. And so I think a lot of contractors, and that's what you said to be, a lot of contractors that have have become addicted to those M1 advances may find themselves going through a hard withdrawal here in the near future. Yeah. yeah. And I think like the biggest thing I've learned over the last year is that like accounting is the lifeblood of a business. And it took us six months of just hard, hard work to dial in our costs on a, on a, and, and be able to predict them on a moving scale. And like, I guess like probably my one biggest takeaway, if I had to give any to a homeowner or a rep or anybody, or even a solar owner is, is what is the accounting processes and teams of the installer? If, if they're using accrual accounting or gap accounting, and they're doing monthly up-to-date reports, that's probably a, a contractor you want to work with or, or your contracting business is in on a, on a good rhythm and in the right direction. If that's not happening, I would just run away from that company. Just like go, like, cause they, they don't even know where it, it's like a, it's like a, per, a human, like an athlete that doesn't know their, their times, their like, body fat percentage or all that. Like it's like professional athletes not game, that's not even watching their body. That's what a, those businesses are. And so if, if they're using accrual accounting or gap accounting and they're doing monthly and quarterly reviews, they know exactly where their budgets are, they're probably gonna be fine. Every every contractor I've talked to that's gone out of business said, we just didn't know where we were out accounting. Every single one. That was like the number one issue. Yep. Yep. Why do you think it's gone this long? Why do you think it's gone this long before we've had kind of a day of reckoning like this? Um, M1s. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it is propped up. I, I hate to like, I, I hate to say it's because of subsidies or because things were so good, but that's partially the reason why. The reason I hesitate to say that is because every, like people are like, well, oil and gas does have subsidies. I was like, they have plenty of subsidies, like, especially on the larger scale. Like if you look at their tax returns, their profits, plenty of subsidies. It's just, there's a little more stable um, but it's, it's an infusion. There, there wasn't a huge infusion of capital into renewables. And so that's what's made people think they had more. It's a bubble, right? It, it, it's a bubble. They think they have more money than there is. It's actually just air underneath. And now that that bubble's popping, um, we're, we're finding out who just, who did follow good practices. And those are the ones that are continuing in business. The ones that didn't follow good practices, that's not saying they're bad or good people. They just could be, just didn't know. They didn't know what they didn't know. Those companies are falling by the wayside. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard, right? It's, it, it, it's, it's hard, but I think it is a necessary, a necessary sort of cleaning of house, yeah. you know, for this to happen. And, and what happens, and this happens in other industries when there's economic contraction, right, yeah. is, is that the, 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 the strong companies shore up their position, um, talent, resources, equipment that has been improperly managed may be acquired by companies that are better managed, that have a better, better financial position. 
and I think the same thing is happening in solar. So, yep. All right, let's let's talk a little bit more about the solar sales versus install business model because yeah. this is another thing that again. I know a lot of folks don't really fully understand. I know a lot of homeowners especially are, are curious about, well, are you are you just a sales company? Are you actually doing the contracting or do you use subcontractors? But we've had in our industry for, I guess, at least for, for me, I've been exposed to this for about the last five years or so, yeah. um, what is called the red line model. And for those of you who are not industry people, what the red line model means is the, the, the contracting or the construction company establishes a pricing red line, which is essentially a wholesale price. This is the cost of construction or building a solar system. And typically it's on a price per watt basis based on the solar panel wattage or the solar system size based on wattage. And so the installer will tell the salesperson, this is my cost to build. You sell on top of that price, whatever you want, and that's your profit. But I'm, I'm gonna guarantee I'm gonna get a certain price per watt for my install. And so I think there's there's pros and cons of it on both sides. I guess on the one hand, on the installer side, you can basically say, look, I'm freezing in my margin. My margin is not going to be variable. I'm not going to do special discounting or whatever. Yeah. I'm getting a certain margin for every watt of solar yeah. I deploy. On the other hand, it, it kind of leaves most of the upside in the hand of the sales and marketing company. Yeah. So the sales and marketing company says, well, if it's only costing me, let's say, $3 a watt to build, but I can sell it to $4 a watt to the homeowner, then I'm making a dollar per watt just for putting the deal together. I don't actually have to do any physical physical construction work. Yeah. Um, wh what do you think about that model and how do you think that model may need to evolve in light of some of the things we're talking about with tighter conditions or, 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 or uh, contracting companies that are gonna be struggling to stay in business? Yeah, I think, I think to, to start out, the model evolved, I think out of necessity because solar contracting and solar marketing and sales they're both very complex, very different businesses. One is dealing with processes and things, one's dealing with people. And so naturally, two complex processes are going to be different enough that it's okay to separate them out between a dealer and a sales org for a time being. Um, that being said, because there's a, such a disconnect between often sales and operations, um, if they're not on the same team, on the same vision moving forward, it's just, at the end of the day, the, the homeowner's gonna suffer. Because the sales rep's gonna overpromise, and the, the, the operations can, even if they try their best, they'll, they'll un under-deliver, because they just can't deliver the world, you know? And so, in terms of what we're seeing right now, and I've talked with several solar owners over the last few months, and even yesterday, everybody, if at all possible, is going away from what they call the dealer model, where there's a sales dealer or sales dealership, and then an operations or um, construction company, because the visions are the the purposes are so misaligned, and it's just creating too much chaos for the homeowners. And so, more sales orgs are saying, the good sales orgs are saying, I want my homeowner to have a good experience because that's going to benefit me in the long term. And more construction people are saying that, saying, okay, we're both going to give up some of our wants, we're going to compromise and join together and, and follow that same vision. And you're seeing a lot more people just come in-house and stay loyal to one contractor versus just selling their services all over or trying to sell products all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I know for me, I would rather have a much, much smaller group of trusted contractors that I know are going to do a good job. Yep. Much more important than a low red line or a cheap red line. You know, I, For me, when I look for uh, an installer partner, I want someone that's going to do reliable quality work, communicate well, 
keep the system healthy after the initial install. And if that means I have to pay 10 or 15 cents higher on the red line, you know, so be it. If that means I have happy customers that give me referrals, as opposed to I've got a cheap red line, but I got a cheap install, everybody's upset. Installs are taking five or six months to complete or more, yeah. you know, which you and I have both seen some of these taking over a year. Yeah. That That's not <laughs> like nobody, no, you can't build a business on that. No. Yeah. And, and it's not always the installer's fault. Sometimes it's just, they, you know, I was talking with the head of a utility company for, or head of a utility department and he goes, Cody, how many net metering applications do you think we saw between 2000, I think it was 2013 to 2018. And I was like, I don't know, man. And he's like 500. And this is like a nationwide, one of the top 10 largest utilities, big company. And he says, you know how many see a month? 500. He's like, our business wasn't, our, on our side, we have this government mandate to do net metering. We can't, we have to scale, I mean, 500 in several years or 500 a month. That's crazy. And every, like most AHJs, AHJ is authority having jurisdiction. So cities and counties are seeing that. Most utilities are seeing that. They're not built to scale this model. And so even if we have all the fine, all the resources in the world to put solar on a roof, to get that approved, a county or utility has to scale the resources accordingly. So there's going to be bottlenecks. And so, but the difference between a good contractor and a bad contractor or bad good sales or bad sales rep is, is a good side's gonna say, hey, just so you know, we're working with this city, they take five to six months. That's just what it's gonna be. And so just expect that. Versus a one that's gonna say, hey, we're gonna get this done super quick, it's gonna be on your roof in three weeks. Expect no problems. <laughs> good point, good point. Well, now that you touched on the AHAs and utilities, I'm glad, because that kind of leads into the next, the next question I was gonna ask here, which is, you know, we've all heard about what's going on in California. So, as you mentioned, for many years, the, the utilities have basically been forced by government mandate to have solar-friendly net metering policies. Yes. And so what that means is, well, actually, for those that maybe not so familiar with this, can you explain, what is a, what is a basic net metering policy? Net metering policy, a, a, a equitable one, well, that's a loaded term if you're a utility. Word now. <laughs> <laughs> so, the standard is a one for one. And so if you create a kilowatt hour and put it on the grid, they're gonna exchange that for a kilowatt hour. So it's a one to one, which is pretty fair from a consumer perspective. So so basically what that means is if you have extra solar during the daytime when your solar is producing, you send it to the power company and then you can pull it back at nighttime at the same rate, Yep. right? Well, that's not a profitable arrangement for the utility, but the utilities in many cases have been forced to offer that program because you know, in my opinion, there's been this sort of high level narrative of like, hey, we all have to come together to save the planet and we're going to save it with solar panels. Now, that's a whole other discussion whether that's accurate or not, but that's that's kind of the, the theme. That's the that's the narrative. And so the utilities were kind of forced to say, look, give homeowners an incentive to install solar panels, give them credits for the energy that they send to you and then let them just buy back from you whenever they don't have enough solar. And so for the last two decades in California, that's pretty much how it's been, where you, you get full credit for your solar, whether you use it directly, whether you send it to the power company and they sell it to one of your neighbors, you know, you get the full credit for that electricity. Well, now that's going away. Now the power company is saying, look, you have solar panels on your house, you got extra, you don't want to use it all, fine, we'll take it, but we're going to take it at the wholesale rate. Just like if I'm buying power from that nuke power plant down the street, I'm going to pay him wholesale for his power, and then I'm going to sell it to you at retail, and I'll make I'll make the spread. That's my business. So that's basically what they're telling the homeowners now is, look, we're going to give you the wholesale rate. You know, it's at least it's better than nothing. 
and then we'll sell it at the retail rate because we have to make a margin too. If if what happens and just happened in California happens in the rest of the country, how is that going to impact the solar industry? Folks like us that are doing this for homeowners. I, at some level, because energy rates have gone up so high, it doesn't impact us as much as we thought it would, I think. But it really impacts the industry and consumers because it's like, to bring an analogy in, you were used to getting your movies at Blockbuster for $3 a movie for three nights, which is crazy price. <laughs> Netflix came around and said, you can have unlimited movies for $12 a month. And the government stepped in and said, no, 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 no. 50% of your movies, you have to buy from Blockbuster. That's what they're doing. It's crazy. Mm. And we, we, if, if that happened in a movie rental scenario, like the, um, the government would step in and just antitrust laws would break that up. But there's no antitrust laws for a utility company. So you, we're just kind of screwed. And so... In fact, it's kind of by design that the utilities have a monopoly. They're yeah. the only ones that sell you power in your market. Yeah, right? so the only way to beat that game is to get in before that game is played. And so the the as, as far as it stands now for most places, if you if you have one for it net one for one net metering, that's like the best you can get. Get in early, get those contracts locked in and you're good to go. Um, Solar City versus NB Energy, that was the Nevada tried to reverse net metering on people. I think it's back in 2015, 2016. And then it went to federal court and the court ruled in favor of the homeowners and said, hey, if you're in one for one net metering, if that was your agreement, you're, that you have to on, the utility has to honor that agreement. So there's federal precedent to say one for net metering, if you're there, you're staying. So to avoid the monopoly, you just got to get in early. Afterwards, there's no legal precedent or anything you, we can really do to not have that disadvantageous situation. Now, it's not saying solar is not a better way to do it still because the high energy rates, and that's why I prefaced it like that because it's not... It's not that it's not impossible to go solar. It's just not as advantageous. Right, right. So, I mean, if, if what just happened in California is indicative of what the rest of the country's net metering may look like five or ten years down the road, if getting locked in with, a, with the best dollar-for-dollar dollar payback program is a priority and you're not in California, now may be the time to take action to do something. Now is the time, get, yeah. Like, you have to do it. Absolutely. Now, for those that are already on the other side of this, where the net metering buyback is, is has been reduced now in California, uh, battery storage is now one of those things where, and that's the other that's the other feel that I get from the, the conference this year, is that batteries are no longer a fringe thing. When I got into it, batteries were a fringe thing. It was doomsday prepper stuff, off the grid completely type stuff. And uh, and these batteries were, were ugly and you know very, very little safety uh, was yeah. built around it. Now battery storage is becoming part of the mainstream and installers, salespeople are having to become aware of it and having to know how to offer it. How do you think battery storage, what, what role do you think battery storage is gonna play in solar going forward for, for consumers? I think the first step is places like California, Hawaii, where there's really high energy rates and disadvantageous net metering. You're just gonna see a lot more whole home backup, which is still economically more affordable than solar. And so places like California, Hawaii are gonna lead that. Other places are gonna adopt that te technology where people are just gonna go off grid now. It's like, okay, screw the utility. I'm just not gonna use them anymore. Um, or I'm going to have a battery that helps helps me use power or self-consume power when energy's high and then use utility power when it's low. So smart energy management. Um, I think what we're going to eventually see, cross my fingers, is 
just more pure microgrids. So Sun, Sun, Sunrun has been working on one in California. Sonova just now announced that they're taking over or they're partnering with a local cooperative to do a microgrid in Texas. Hmm. And so they're big, these big financial institutions are just saying, hey, we have the money. Why don't we just go take over a community? Now, now let's 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 explain that a little bit for those that might not be familiar with the terminology. So, when you say a microgrid, are you talking about literally a, a small grid that's separate from the yeah the, separate the, from the, utility. the larger power utility, yeah. a completely separate grid? Yep. And this bat, it's it's using smart energy management with batteries around house with a group of homes or community solar to just take people completely off the grid. And so we're testing that. That might not work. We'll find out in the, econ the economics that might not work, but they're testing out to see if it will. In the meantime, again, back to that theme of decentralization, in markets where there's high energy prices, 50, north of 15 cents, 15, 15 cents per kilowatt hour, batteries do not not make sense, you know, depending on the situation. Got it. Now, what would you say, let's say there's an installer out there, or, or a sales group, but let's say you're an installer out there, you know, you run an install company, um, haven't done batteries in the past, now they feel they have to. What advice would you give them as far as maybe how to choose where to start, maybe which batteries to go with? What, what advice would you offer? I mean, education is key. I mean, there's plenty of, like in SolarCon here, there's plenty of battery companies. Um, again, I just, I revert back to the, the same quality over quantity or quality over or price and, and accounting and education, right? So if, if I went to RE Plus like two years ago or in, and then this year and the number of battery manufacturers is like tripled. I don't know, you probably saw that. Oh yeah, yeah, there's tons of them now. And again, 90% of those battery companies are gonna go out of business. I have a close friend that runs a battery company and they chose cheap batteries and now they're having a lot of warranty issues, you know? And so going with that higher quality battery that's backed by big capital and has really high quality engineering is going to be a huge advantage if you choose that versus just price shopping over the cheapest one. Guys, I hope you're listening out there. I hope you're listening. And I don't mean to, to sound condescending or all this, or I told you so, but you know, I get, I get, I get inquiries all the time, Cody. It's like, Hey Joe, I saw you talked about Tesla Powerwall, but I found this battery online. It's one third the price per kilowatt hour. Don't, what do you think about this? I was like, I can't stand behind that product. Yeah. You know, I mean, that looks like a generic product. What happens if it breaks? Who, who's going to come fix it for you? Well, and, and I don't think people understand like how the manufacturing on the other side of the world works. So I went like one of the best experiences I had is we went to China and we just toured like a dozen factories. And I was like, oh, this is what's happening. You know, like some like what happens over there is you have a big company that gets a bunch of government, bunch of like money from the government or other loans. And they get, they hire the best engineers. They hire every like super high quality, create this great big facility, and they put out a really amazing product like a Solar Edge or Tesla Powerwall or something like that. And then what happens is engineers in that firm they say, "Well, I could I could do this," and so they break off. This is in China. They break off and they'll create like a sub product of that. It's copycat. Copycat. Yeah. And um, there's not a lot of regulation or that prevent that from happening. And then they'll just sell it for cheaper. It's the same, basically the same product. They actually develop the product, but they don't have the resources for quality control or longevity and all that stuff. And they'll sell that product cheaper for a bit. And then what happens is, is like you were saying with solar, service, warranties, all that thing, that those pile up to a point where they just can't survive anymore. They just got a business. And so as much as we want to like root for the small guy, 
in terms of like high end or like high ticket consumer goods, like you want to really just go with the big guy. You don't want to root for the underdog. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it. I hate to say it, but like that, that's been my experience. So like, when I started in solar, again, I was doing off-grid, completely off-grid systems, no permits, no inspections. I was sourcing equipment off of eBay and Amazon. And some of these components were coming from factories in China, d direct ship from the Chinese factory yeah. on DHL, I remember. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had these inverters. I would buy them for, you know, 500 bucks a piece, 800 bucks a piece, off-grid inverters, right? People are running their whole hunting yeah. cabin on these things. And after about two years, I had a whole pile of these busted inverters in the shop. No warranty, yep. no service. There's nothing I could really do with it except just buy another one and yeah. replace it. And after about two years of that, I realized, you know what? I think I'm going to spring for the name brand product. Yep. It costs two or three times the price. But if it breaks, they mail me another one at their expense. Yep. If I have questions, I, I call a U.S. technical support number and they yep. walk me through how to program it or yep. how to debug it or what have you. So, you know, again, folks, it's solar just like anything else. You get what you pay for. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I can relate to the guys that, that, that look at this stuff. Cause again, that, that was me, you know, that was me 10 years ago. I was like, Hey, I found this part on eBay. I found this one on Ali, Alibaba, I guess is the thing now, Yeah. you know, and that, that's cool. If you're kind of like experimenting in the workshop for light bulbs, it's great, Yeah. <laughs> but not for a $10,000 battery. No, no. Especially not <laughs> if you're selling it to a homeowner with a warranty or some kind of guarantee yeah. that that's, that's not what you want. Well, Cody, I really appreciate you taking time yeah. to chat with us about all of this. I guess just in closing, if you have any final parting advice, solar professionals, solar contractors that are out there, what, what advice would you give them as far as what steps should they be taking right now to be successful in this environment yeah, going this, forward? This is probably maybe more philosophical than I need to be, but like greed just gets you. You know, if sales reps are greedy and they overpromise, they might do okay in the short term, but eventually it's going to catch up to them. Same with solar contractors, same with homeowners or consumers. If they're greedy and they're like, you know, I'm going to find a cheaper price to try to save money now, like that's not going to benefit you long-term. Like look for win-win scenarios where the, per the, the person you're doing business with or is doing business with you, you both win. That way, like there's good communication and, and you work it out. I mean, we've, we've had scenarios where things could have blown up very quickly, but because we're trying to create a win-win, we work through it and it ends up turning out okay you know and there's a long-term relationship we get into a podcast and that's that's my like that's a fundamental principle but if, as long as you just look to creating win-win scenarios it's most likely going to turn out for the better yeah yeah i wholeheartedly agree with that well cody thank you so much yeah, for thanks, coming Joe. on with solar search yep. really appreciate your time uh guys again cody teal on youtube he's also the ceo of equals a great solar installer out in illinois so if you're looking in fact i got a couple of inquiries recently um, from folks in Illinois. If you're looking for a great solar installer that manages the business based on the sound principles that we've, we've articulated today, check out Equals. And um, Cody, really appreciate it, man. Thanks, Wish Joe. you success. Appreciate it.